Sure, your phone is amazing, but it's not amazing at playing music in your car. CarThing, Spotify's hardware device, is. Easier access to all your playlists and podcasts with no lock screen or other distractions, and voice command of it all. Because a car just isn't a car without your music. That's what Spotify thinks at least. Your car just got upgraded with CarThing. Get a CarThing from Spotify. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fantasy Football Addicts Podcast. My name is Mung. Hey everyone, it's Los. I am excited. It's time to get rolling. We're going to talk some backfields today. How are you feeling about this, Mung? I, I, I feel like the season is upon us. Yeah, it's uh, it kind of snuck up on us with a lot of people working from home and with stuff just recently reopening in the last couple months. It feels like the summer's kind of flown by and uh, it doesn't feel like it's September already, but the season is just a week and a half away. And, uh, I, you know, I've got an auction draft tomorrow night and another draft uh, later this coming weekend. What about you, Los? Yeah, surprising as it may be, I think um, some people have been caught in the lull of every every day being the same day, a bit of a Groundhog Day uh, gimmick going on. Um, so we're still trying to figure out the uh, draft day in one of my leagues, and uh, you know the season is coming close. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's that time crunch. But uh, if you have not been fully paying attention, uh, if you haven't been fully tuned in, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of backfields. Literally every single one. We're going to start with uh, the NFC teams on this show. And uh, we're just going to kind of go through and talk about which running backs we like at ADP here, uh, which ones we're kind of avoiding uh, for some of the committees that seem kind of messy. We're going to discuss who we like, uh, who might be overvalued, who might end up being, uh, you know, the starting back in terms of touches uh, both on the ground and in the receiving work. And then, uh, you know, we all know that finding running back value in the middle and late rounds of drafts can be a huge avenue towards winning your leagues. Absolutely. We're going to hit on a lot today, folks, uh, and in the coming episodes. But if there's anything you want specifically answered about any questions, any backfields or anything else, don't forget to hit us up on Twitter. OK, we'll, we'll get back. We'll be there for you. Don't worry. Yeah. And uh, we're going to kick off the show starting with the NFC West. And what better place to start than the uh, the second place team last year, the almost Super Bowl champs, the San Francisco 49ers. And we talked about them a little bit in our last episode. If you want to revisit, we talked about how we both agreed that Tevin Coleman's a pretty good value in the ninth, more so than Mostert going in the fifth round right now, given that this is going to be, uh, you know, remain as a committee backfield. And then we also discussed a little bit about Jarek McKinnon, kind of the forgotten man over the last couple of years with that torn ACL two years ago, and then the complications in 2019, but he's going in the 13th, 14th round right now. He's a great flyer especially if he does get a lot of that passing down work that we've been seeing him do in training camp. Uh, anything to add here, Los? Yeah. Tevin Coleman is a Shanahan guy. Um, I think letting Burita go and having uh, McKinnon at the spot on the depth chart is just a vote of confidence for him. And don't forget, you know, Mostert was great. Uh, Burita was, was very good, very serviceable in weeks last year, but Jeff Wilson jr. Came in, stole touchdowns of plenty. So I, I think even if Mostert, and Coleman are raring to go, are looking great. I, I see a chance where McKinnon still has value. This team likes to use their depth. Yeah, and we never really did get to see McKinnon in a, a larger role, uh, not since his days in Minnesota, really. Yeah, and, and he filled in well. I mean, it was 
it was a weird backfield at that time. It was him. It was, um, oh my goodness. Well, here we go. First team, and I'm already having a having a brain lapse. I can't Matt think Aziana. of the uh, the big um, big dude that uh, that Matt was the Aziana. other guy in the backfield. Oh come on. Well, you know who he was. Your favorite and mine. Did you not hear me? I said Matt Asiata. I said it like three times. Oh, you times. said Asiata. When did you say it? Like literally three times right now. I was going to say it started with an A, but uh, but I didn't want to be wrong. Yeah, well, it was Matt Asiata. <laughs> well, good. So, yeah. All right, let's move right along then to <laughs> Seattle. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, maybe they'll sign, to go. Maybe they'll to sign go. Matt Asiata. Who knows? But uh, I think the Seahawks, uh, not a whole lot to discuss here. Uh, it's pretty much Chris Carson's backfield to open the season here. I think he's a pretty decent value if you're, he's going to be your RB2, maybe even your RB1 uh, in the third round. Uh, I've seen him drop to the fourth once or twice, but usually he goes in the third. And then Rashad Penny, of course, still recovering from that ACL tear that he suffered late in the season last year in December. And I do like Carlos Hyde as an upside handcuff in the last few rounds. What do you think? I think Hyde in the early season is better than a handcuff in the last few rounds. If you're hurting, if you went with a modified zero RB approach or something like that, with the kids doing all these crazy uh, thingies nowadays, uh, I think Hyde uh, is going to have the carries. Last year, many games throughout the season, uh, Penny and Carson carried you know the entire workload. They were having 30-plus carries certain weeks, so I think there's room for Hyde to even have 15 touches in the early weeks. I think if Carson's healthy, I wouldn't expect a huge role for Hyde, but uh, certainly he'll mix in on, on a few series here and there, and I, I do think uh, this will be probably a, a little bit messier, uh, assuming that Rashad Penny gets activated off the PUP list after the first six weeks. Uh, at that point, I would say, um, you know, no one really needs to be rostered behind Carson, assuming he's still healthy at that point. Sure. And we'll just have to keep an eye on Rashad Penny. Yep. All right. Let's move right along then to the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, this is probably the first one where there's a wide range of possibilities going on here in this backfield. Yeah. I'm of the mind that Cam Akers is probably going to be the best all-around back in L.A., but Henderson could take away some passing down work. Um, Akers, of course, a great fit for L.A.'s zone scheme, with PFF charting them as the sixth heaviest zone rushing team over the last three seasons. But, again, we've already gotten some reports out of camp that Goff has been hitting Henderson on routes out of the backfield nicely, though he's a little bit dinged up right now. Uh, so really, it doesn't help that, um, you know, it doesn't help either guy either that the Rams offensive line is still probably in the bottom 10 of the league. But uh, right now, their ADPs, Cam Akers uh, going as the RB29, uh, 69th overall. And then Daryl Henderson's been going as the RB42 pretty late, uh, 116th overall, so in the double-digit rounds there. And then uh, any love for Malcolm Brown? He's going undrafted, so a lot, a lot of chances for you to invest in this backfield if you really want to. Yeah, I, I think it's a little foolhardy for there uh, not being any stock bought, bought into Malcolm Brown. I think Akers is going too high. People are buying in and out of that rookie hype, which we love to. We love to see the kids playing in college, and we love to see them enter the NFL and be very, very successful. But with that aforementioned terrible offensive line that did not really get much better this offseason, I think even if Akers has, has, the, uh, has the start starting in the season, he's going to have an uphill, uphill battle. I don't see him topping, you know, 30. Because I, th in terms of running backs, because he is going to have a split backfield with Henderson, and I think we have a very short memory for getting that Malcolm Brown 
did lead the backfield last year ahead of, I mean, you know, not Todd Gurley, but he was the number two behind uh, rather than Daryl Henderson. And everybody bought into the Daryl Henderson hype last year. Yeah, there's definitely a chance that Sean McVay is going to go to a more committee approach with Gurley gone. Um, but really, no one knows. Uh, I, I do think that Akers is fine in the, you know, seventh rounds, maybe sixth round even, depending on how the rest of your team's structured. Would you feel comfortable with him as your RB2 going into week one? I would not feel comfortable as a two, no. Okay. I think, uh, you know, it depends on your team construction, but if you started with McCaffrey or Barkley or Elliott, you know, one of those top guys and you came around, um, you know, went tight end or wide receiver for the next few rounds, I think he fills in okay as an RB2. Yeah, I, I just don't see that. I mean, you want to grab a little bit of upside. An early season for a rookie, I just don't see any upside in, in, in the split backfield on a team where I'm not m- expecting much out of this rushing game. Gotcha. All right. Well, clearly not a preferred target of yours. Um, if you had to pick between Henderson or Brown uh, in deeper leagues, if you're rostering either one of them, who are you going? Probably Henderson for the path. Uh, if we're talking to PPR specifically, uh, Henderson for that upside. Yep. And we always do talk PPR on this show, of course. All right, uh, let's move on then to the Arizona Cardinals. We've got Kenyon Drake going uh, 16th overall as the RB10, RB11. Uh, Prior to the news that he was in a walking boot, it's reportedly precautionary. uh, And remember that Drake was also in a boot for a little bit last preseason uh, and then seemed fine during the actual regular season. Are you still comfortable with drafting Drake as your RB1 uh, in the late first or early seconds? Were you ever drafting him there? Yeah, that that's about where I'd have him right now. Uh, I like to hear that it's precautionary, but I don't know what a precautionary walking boot is. Like, precautionary is before you have any caution. So this is definitely cautionary, not to mince words with, you know, a training staff or anything. But, you know, precautionary is if I threw you in a walking boot right now, Mung, that would be before we had any reason for precaution. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, it, it is prime draft season, so I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, being a little careful. Sure, sure. <laughs> Fair enough. You are doing a lot of them. We don't want you tweaking anything. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's troubling, but um, I'm not too scared at this point. If, if it was anything worse, we'd have, you know, more reports of imaging, MRIs, things like that. And we just haven't, but that could just be because they're not tied to any sort of um, uh, injury list at this point in the free season. Right. And what about Chase Edmonds here? Uh, he's been going fairly late, but his ADP has begun to rise since the news of Drake and the boot. Uh, he was basically an afterthought as the RB 54 being taken in the 14th, 15th round. But, you know, I've seen him going in the 10th, 11 round sometimes. Is he worth taking a little bit earlier? Uh, even if Drake is healthy for week one, it could end up being more of a committee than expected for the Cardinals. I don't expect the committee just because of how well Drake took over, but we did see that if Drake is going to miss any time, uh, Chase Edmonds filled in, in for in for David Johnson last year very well. He pulled, ripped off a really nice game that frustrated just about everybody because Arizona came out and said, "Sure, you remember this week? Oh yeah, David Johnson's good to go." And of course, he was you know uh, not not playing in the game, and then Chase Edmonds, um, I don't I forget how high he finished, but I believe it was a top top fifteen, maybe top ten week. I'm pretty sure, if I recall correctly, it was like 120 yards and like three touchdowns. So I would think it's an RB1 week for fantasy purposes. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we could see a little bit more of a committee just because even though Drake 
dominated the touches um, last year after he got traded to Arizona. Again, you know, that was with Edmonds recovering from that hamstring injury. So we'll see. But I do feel comfortable with Drake in that early second round. I probably wouldn't take him in the first round. I think there are other running backs that I would prefer above him. Guys like, you know, Chubb, Josh Jacobs, um, you know, just safer backs that I feel will, will have significant workloads. What about Joe Mixon? Uh, not currently. We'll, we'll get to okay. Cincinnati in a little sure. bit, but, uh, you know, a lot of these, we've got three or four potential holdouts to discuss, and then we've got some yeah, injury news. That is a mess. Um, and, and I think this will be a, a theme of this show as we talk running backs is that I'm generally pretty risk adverse in the first or second rounds. Um, you know, again, going back to that old adage that you can't really win your draft in the first round, but you certainly can lose it. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a lot of wisdom wisdom there. Uh, I think you're right. All right. Uh, let's go on to the NFC North then. Um, let's start with the Chicago Bears. Of course, the news this past week about David Montgomery tweaking That's his groin. And it's sad because we, we literally talked on the last show that we both liked Montgomery as a value at ADP prior to this groin injury. But now hearing that uh, he may not be ready week one, uh, maybe out for week two or three, maybe even week four. Uh, it sounds like uh, somewhere between a three to six week injury, which would put him right around week two at the earliest. So um, what's the earliest that you would take Montgomery now? See, the thing with running backs is you sort of have to bake in the fact that they're going to have some injuries. You never like a preseason injury and you never like a like a soft tissue injury. But anytime I'm taking a running back, I'm sort of guessing that I'm going to miss anywhere between two to four weeks on them, um, which obviously we're, we're really pushing that timetable with Dave Montgomery. Um, I would probably let him slide about one more round, but that would be about it. Meaning I'm probably not getting any, any Chicago drafts because there's going to be somebody that still takes him at ADP, if not higher. So what are you saying then? Like round six, round seven? Yeah, about rounds. Yeah, exactly. Around he he was in five or where where was he? He was going uh, about sixty fourth overall. So that's what, early yeah, that's round 5. six. Okay. Yeah. So I, I I'd probably let him go into that early seventh. Okay. Um, if just a couple names for reference, uh, would you take yeah, Montgomery helps. behind Acres? No, uh, but that's that's no a personal vendetta I have against take, Acres, I guess. You would take Montgomery over Acres, is what you're saying? Yes, I would. Yeah. Okay, uh, DeAndre Swift. No, I would take Swift right now. Um, Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones. James White. No. So you want Montgomery? Yes. Okay. Um, I think that's probably about where I've got him, but. For me, I I think I'm targeting the wide receivers in in round six and seven over all yeah. of these running backs. Um, that's yeah. so for me, I probably won't have Montgomery in many places. Uh, sad. I mean, potential landing spot as well for Leonard Fournette. Um, we'll see about yeah. that. Uh, and of course, when you guys are listening to this show, it's very possible he'll he'll have already been claimed uh, on waivers. So. Um, if there's, uh, you can ignore our speculation if uh, the news has already come out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, and, you know, it's, I, hope, 
I hope you do. Don't apply it if it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to take Montgomery regardless, even if Leonard Fournette signed. Yes. Um, but yeah, guys like I think guys like Marquise Brown, Jarvis Landry, Tyler Boyd, these are the wide receivers going in rounds six and seven. And, and I think I'm just targeting wide receiver based on my overall strategy this year in those rounds over the running backs available. Yeah, a lot of solid upside in most players. A.J. Green even. I'm not with you on AJ Green, but uh, you know, plenty of wide receivers there. Uh, depending on how your roster has been constructed thus far. So then, what about behind Montgomery? Assuming right now, uh, we're assuming that Chicago does not make any significant transactions. Um, we've got Tariq Cohen going in the ninth or so round as the RB32, RB30, which is right around where he finished last year in PPR formats. Um, does Ryan Null or Cordero Patterson move the needle at all for you either? It's it's terrible. It's scary. I don't like... I mean, this is just from watching Bears games. I don't like Cordero Patterson in the backfield. He, he does not do exceptionally well as a running back, especially not with the bulk of the work. Um, so hopefully... Uh, Matt Nagy gets really creative with Tariq Cohen. And I think what's going to happen is actually just increased targets for uh, Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson for the most part, uh, or maybe one of those slew of the tight ends that the, that the Bears signed. Um, Ryan Nall doesn't really move the needle. Um, I, I think it's just going to be a bump up in value for Tariq Cohen for me. Okay, I gotcha. I think for me... Um... Cohen moves up a few spots, but probably still not into the range where I'm going to get him in many leagues. Uh, personally, all those pass catching backs, um, uh, James White, uh, Cohen, um, yeah, and, and now we're talking Chris Thompson probably later on. Uh, those guys I'm probably not taking until the double-digit rounds for me. Huh. All right, let's move on to the Minnesota Vikings here. Um Something to talk about, or I think worth talking about, that I'm not hearing much discussion on. Just the fact that, uh, you know, during... Um, Adam Schefter said that recently it would give him pause to draft Dalvin Cook if Minnesota hasn't gotten an extension done by the, end, by the start of the season. And, you know, we're recording right as of right now on Monday night, and earlier today Minnesota gave their left tackle, Riley Reef a deadline of tomorrow as to whether he's going to accept a restructured contract with a reduced salary. Uh, with that money, they could potentially be paying Dalvin Cook, but we really just don't know yet. Um, if if Dalvin Cook is not extended, though, by the time that you guys are listening to this, uh, what is the earliest that you would personally be willing to take him loose? I'd take him at the 106. Okay, so you're not concerned about any potential sitting out, missing games? No, that bumped him behind Derrick Henry for me. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, so so there's so I guess uh, I would say slight concern, maybe four out of ten. But I I see this pretty much no differently than uh, the way we've handled the Ezekiel Elliott suspension in the past, the Le'Veon Bell suspension in the past. I know this isn't a suspension, but. Dalvin Cook is not going to sit out the entirety of the season. So like I talked about before, sort of baking in those possible missed games for running backs, it's just sort of become par for the course, in my opinion. Because when they are in the game, Dalvin Cook's a major difference maker. Gotcha. I think I'm a little bit further down on him than you are. Um, like I said, I, especially with an already weird season, I really want to cut out as much risk as I can in the first round. 
Um, I've got CEH ranked right behind Derrick Henry at six. And then I don't think I would take Cook in the first round, uh, which basically means that wow. I'm, I'm not going to get him anywhere. Wow. Okay. All right. I, I just think that, you know, Adam Schefter, one of the most well-connected people in the NFL, uh, he's got insight into a ton of teams, a ton of personnel. And if he's saying that it would give him pause, uh, it gives me pause. That's for sure. See, to me, Madison is good enough and is being drafted at an appropriate enough round right now that you can get him in the ninth, 10th, I think probably still. Um, and not really have that much worry and still have the upside of Delvin cook. Okay. So basically you're saying you're still willing to take cook at six, but you're going to prioritize Madison, maybe even the eighth, ninth round to make sure. That yeah. I would, if there's questions and if he, yeah, if it's looking pretty solid that he's going to miss weeks, then I would dive in on, on cook in the eighth round even, or uh, Madison in the eighth round. Okay. So you're backing up that investment for sure. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Um, any thoughts on Mike Boone real quick before we move on? Uh, he's a talented back, but buried on the depth chart. You know, if he was somewhere else, if he, you know, went to Jacksonville, I'd be more interested. Okay. I think, you know, in deeper leagues, I'm willing to take a shot on him very late. Um, just cause we don't know that Madison would necessarily be a workhorse. Um, but you know, in shallower leagues, you're certainly not rostering Boone. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it looked like it last year. Unfortunately, Madison had injury problems of his own, um, so it it does make that a bit difficult to uh, to evaluate. Right, and I think you know it's kind of like with um, what was it the Kansas City backfield, right? Uh, mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, Daryl DeAndre, uh, right? The yep. scramble, uh, <laughs> the scramble on the waiver wire. Yep. All right, uh, moving on to the Green Bay Packers here. We've got Aaron Jones being drafted as the RB14 around 19th overall, so middle of the second round. Seems about right to me. He's a good RB2 with some RB1 upside, and while he is likely to see touchdown regression from the 19 scores that he had last year, uh, double-digit touchdowns is certainly still feasible. So I'm not actively avoiding Jones, but I also haven't found myself taking him very often. In the range that he goes, uh, in that mid-late second round turn, uh, I would rather grab a Kittle or Kelsey. Uh, That's just me. Maybe even a top wide receiver one if the draft has been very running back heavy up to that point. And then we've got A.J. Dillon being taken as the RB54 in round 13, round 14. And then Jamal Williams, Tyler Irvin, these guys are not getting drafted. So what are your thoughts on Jones, Dillon, this entire backfield? Yeah, I think 14. I mean, it seems disrespectful for a top three running back from the season prior, but I'm not all that invested in caring because, you know, he's he's a Packer. I, I'm sorry, I'm a homer. What can I do? Um, I, I guess if it was, you know, if he was on the, the, the Cardinals or something, I'd probably be trying to bang the drum and move him up draft boards. But uh, I'm okay with him going at 14. And, like, this is still going to be a decent offense. Um, I know we, we have questions about what coaching is doing with Aaron Rodgers and, and with that backfield, but I don't see it changing much. It's not like Jordan Love is pushing the team to go in a different direction. Um, AJ, AJ Dillon might come in and take some goal line work, but to me, Aaron Jones's value came more in his pass catching and they're not going to do that with AJ Dillon. Yeah, I just, I, I think where he's going right now, um, I've tried to diversify, so I've taken Aaron Jones in a, in a couple drafts, but I think it's still right on the cusp of being a little bit too early for me. Hmm. Oh. But, just too I mean, much, too much touchdown regression. You think? 
That and and I do think you know I like AJ Dillon a lot, and I do think that Matt Lafleur yeah, wants to work him in. Uh, to me, Lafleur just wants that committee. Yeah, well, that's it's possible, but I think when he sees that it's not successful, his hand's going to be forced in an opposite direction, or he's going to find himself out of the league rather quickly. It's possible. We've seen coaches be stubborn before, especially with their guys that they draft. Yep, true. And speaking of committees, uh, let's go to Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I like DeAndre Swift a lot. You know, there's been talk about him pre-draft. Uh, there was talk about him going off the boards as the first running back in this class, and and usually talent wins out. But I really don't see Matt Patricia wavering from his committee backfield approach. Carryon Johnson is probably more likely to stay healthy with a reduced workload, with Swift taking a lot of carries here. And even if Carrion were to miss time, uh, I see the Lions mixing in Bo Scarborough or Ty Johnson with Swift rather than just handing him the reins to this backfield. I think running back 25 in the late 5th, early 6th round is just way too early for me on the rookie. And I, I don't see much upside either in picking up Carrion in the ninth or 10th going off the boards right now as the RB37. So I, I'm probably avoiding this backfield entirely. What are your thoughts here? I would agree almost entirely if it wasn't for all of the preseason injuries and uh, and potential holdouts from three top running backs we're seeing already. Um, I think that alone is going to drive the market for running backs a little higher. So I'm I'm comfortable with with Swift, who should by all rights be a great pass catching running back um, at that twenty uh, running back twenty five spot. Um, I agree. Carry on at thirty seven. He's been a little too injured so far. I mean, you know, players are injury prone until they're not right. Um, but I, I'd like to see it first in a running back. Okay, gotcha. That sounds like you like Swift a little bit more than me. Um, all right, let's move on to the NFC East next. First off, yep. we've got uh, the Dallas Cowboys, Ezekiel sure. Elliott. Um, you want to talk about him a little bit? Yeah, I can drop in a little bit. Uh, a lot of lot of top-end uh, running backs, as we know, in the NFC East. Ezekiel Elliott is currently going as the running back three, and rightfully so, in my opinion. Uh, I think this offense takes a step forward this year, and he's one of the very uh, very few clear three-down backs who gets passing work and tons of rushing volume. Um, Mike McCarthy has uh, messed around with his running back usage in the past on uh at, on Green Bay, wasting carries on Jamal Williams and James Starks. But I don't think he can even screw this one up. He's never had a back as good as Ezekiel Elliott. And even more importantly than that to me, he said he is going to let the offensive coordinator continue to call that part of the game. Uh, beh- behind Zeke is arguably the best pure handcuff in fantasy, Tony Pollard. Uh, he doesn't have much value in the flex or, or anything while Zeke is healthy, you know, or, or while he's, you know, in games. But you can buy him in the 11th round, which I think is fair for running back with top five, up, five upside. How about you, Mon? Yeah, not not a whole lot to add here. The only thing I would say is uh, I got uh, I actually just moved Ezekiel Elliott up to number two overall over Barkley. Um, I think a lot of hype has been talked about this offseason with Dak Prescott and CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper and to me, that all intersects with the fact that defenses are going to have to respect Dak Prescott in this passing game, which means that Zeke is going to see a lot of light boxes, and that bodes very well for him. 
Yeah, can't really argue with that there. Um, so moving on to uh, the aforementioned Saquon Barkley with the New York Giants. Uh, no real shock here with Saquon Barkley as the consensus RB2, but clearly could be argued to be the RB3. Uh, I think those two are pretty darn close to each other, him and Zeke. The Jason uh, Garrett hiring is a positive sign, at least, in that we've seen him deal with Ezekiel Elliott, making him a three-down bell cow. So we can be pretty confident and rest assured in Saquon's workload here. Um, he's backed up by the newly acquired Deion Lewis, Wayne Gallman, and Buck Allen round out the back of the running back room. Uh, Gallman was actually a healthy scratch in favor of Buck Allen to end the season last year. I don't really think there's any room on anyone's roster to stash any of those three. Deion Lewis has made a career of being on the injured list himself, and even in the uh, most recent years behind Derrick Henry, he got very, very limited usage. So I, I don't think there's much threat to Saquon's workload, uh, but if he does go down, unfortunately, as running backs can have happen, uh, I think it's going to be a messy committee back here. Yep, not a whole lot to add here. Um, you know, Barkley's my 103, and like you said, I don't think anybody needs to be rostered in this Giants back. Excuse me, Giants backfield other than him. I think that'll move us along to Philadelphia. Uh, Miles Sanders had recently been a draft board riser with that quote from Doug Peterson that he's going to be the guy. Now that's not exactly as inflammatory as when we were told uh, about a decade ago that C.J. Spiller was going to get the ball until he pukes. But I do like to bring it up. It's in the similar vein. Um, I, I'm inclined to believe Doug Peterson more so this year with the departure of Jordan Howard, Jay Ajayi, and Darren Sproles, who caused most of the fear for Sanders owners in the first half of last year. Howard's departure left 120 carries unaccounted for, and that's after Sanders had 179 carries of his own and 63 targets while splitting those backfield duties. I do think there's going to be a split again this year, but I expect more 75-25 than that 55-45 we saw. And that 25% side would be uh, Boston Scott, who Mung highlighted in our last episode. Sanders is going back at the first round right now, and I was inclined to snag him there until we got uh, reports of him missing time now, too. Tell us a little about that, Mung. Yeah, Miles Sanders hasn't been practicing for the last week or so uh, with a hamstring injury. He's been doing some drills on the side recently. His hamstring injury has been described as, quote, not the least mild one, but also not the most severe, which is really a worthless quote. Um, doesn't tell us a whole lot. And right now the speculation is that he will be ready for week one. But we all know that soft tissue injuries can recur if players rush back too soon. I'm probably avoiding Sanders in round one. Uh, again, I, I think some of the names that I'm going to be mentioning a lot here as we talk about those late first round targets is just in terms of, you know, less risk. I'd rather pivot and take a Nick Chubb or a Josh Jacobs or an Austin Eckler even. Yeah, that's that's about where I'm at, too. Um I'd like to have a little more time to see this develop, but the unfortunate thing we, we learn about hamstrings is sometimes they take forever to, to develop hamstring. Uh, that's the problem Leonard Fournette had in uh, his first two to three seasons of, uh, of his career, just that hamstring constantly nagging him. Hopefully this doesn't become something that sticks around for Miles Sanders because uh, he looked really exciting last year. Yeah, and the other concern, uh, the ancillary concerns too, right? They've lost two of their offensive linemen due to injury. Yes. Um, yep. Carson Wentz is hurt right now too. We're not sure if he's going to be ready to start the season. Sounds like he will be, but, you know, you never know. Um, Jalen Rager. Philadelphia always has these problems. What What is going on over there? 
Yeah, I don't, just terrible luck, I guess. But, you know, and then Jalen yeah. Rager with that labrum tear, he's going to be right. out for a Same couple play. weeks. So it, it just sounds like there's not going to be a whole lot of good blocking for Sanders and defenses may be focused on stopping the run. Um, so I'm just fading him. I'm probably not going to be taking him until that mid-second range at the very earliest. Yep, yep. All right, and for the Washington football team, um, this one's a bit of a must, too, uh, that I probably won't be touching. Darius Geis' departure from the team um, leaves an opening day work for probably Adrian Peterson. That's what I'm that's what I'm projecting. Uh, they open the season against Philadelphia, who is number three in rushing defense in 2019. So I'm not drafting Adrian Peterson anywhere. Um, certainly not slotting him in as a running back, too. Prefer not to as the flux. Uh, when we hit midseason, I do expect Ron Rivera to start a transition to see what he has in his young running backs, Bryce Love and Antonio Gibson. Uh, I love uh, loves going undrafted right now, and Gibson's going in the 11th, but he has been on the rise, uh, probably is going to settle in, what do you think, probably in the next week around round 7-8 is what I'm speculating? What do you think? Uh, it sounds way too high for me. I, I, don't, I think the right? initial shock value of Geis being out now has kind of taken its toll. I don't know that Gibson's ADP is going to rise that much in this last week or so before the season starts. Um, okay. but even so, I think, I think round nine, uh, is about okay. the absolute earliest that I would take Gibson. If you're, if you're banking on uh, a rookie running back overtaking his veteran counterpart, I'd rather draft JK Dobbins in that range. Um, oh, sure. and I think that Peterson is probably the best value here. He's going very late in the 12th, 13th round. Everyone's. Um, you know, everyone's excited about Gibson or Bryce Love kind of showcasing what they've got, but it's very possible, as you said, that Peterson's going to get the most work to start the season. And if you started strong with a strong RB1, but then kind of, you know, just um, went wide receiver heavy the next few rounds and just hammered those wide receivers, tight end, maybe grabbed an, a top quarterback, I'd feel not great about starting Adrian Peterson at RB2, but if you've got you know, a McCaffrey, Barkley, Elliott anchoring that RB one spot. You could do worse. Yeah. I'm avoiding all these guys, but trying to spend some fab on, uh, on Antonio Gibson after their week eight by after he's dropped by a frustrated owner. Yeah. I think that's the problem with a lot of these rookie running backs is you're drafting them for that upside, but you may need those roster spots by the time they actually uh, break out and see more work especially in a year like this. I think every single roster spot is going to be valuable. Yep. All right. If, if uh, there's no objection on your part, I'm going to move on to the NFC South. Yeah, go ahead. All right. The Atlanta backfield should be pretty clear cut. I think with Todd Gurley, who's going running back 16 in the middle of the third, leading the pack, plugging into Devonte Freeman's 60% share of the carries, if not leaning a bit closer to 70%, I think as well as receiving a healthy dose of pass game work as he has through his career. His backups, be it Brian Hill or Ito Smith, have been less than impressive in pass game work. So that overall sounds like a pretty great spot to draft Gurley. But what happens if his knee doesn't hold up? Uh, Gurley's only 26, but he has, but he's carried a large workload through his career. Uh, pray for his health because it's a very messy committee behind him, and I don't think any player back there is going to provide starting value if anything happens to Gurley. 
Yeah, this is kind of like the uh, the Giants situation with Barkley, right? Yeah. And behind him, uh, you know, Ito Smith, Brian Hill, Quadri Allison. I think it would be some sort of committee if Gurley were to miss time. So I'm not going to waste a, ro- a roster spot on any of these guys in the preseason. Um, Gurley, I don't mind him uh, where his ADP is, but I generally haven't been getting him anywhere because there are a few guys in that ADP range that I'm really loving. Um if in terms of running backs, uh, I like Jonathan Taylor, Chris Carson, and James Conner all over Gurley. Um, is there anybody you would take, uh, or would you take Gurley over those guys at all, Los? Who who did you say again? You, you so, can't say that many things at once. <laughs> so Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor. So that depends on if I already have an RB two, then I would take Jonathan Taylor. If I needed an RB two, I would take Todd Gurley. Gotcha. I think I'm taking Taylor regardless for the upside there. Okay. Um, and then James Conner. Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. I think I'm right now, I, that's, I flip a coin, but I think I have Conner above Gurley right there. Okay. And then Chris Carson. Well, I do have Chris Carson above Gurley, but if you go any further, I think the answer would be Gurley. gotcha okay um and then i was gonna say as well in terms of wide receivers you can get guys like alan robinson adam thielen mike evans all in that range and and those are all guys that i would target over Gurley if they're there so like i said in in some crazy drafts where all those targets of mine are gone um i'm perfectly fine grabbing Gurley there but it just hasn't really happened a whole lot heck maybe he'll follow you could be a running back three who knows uh, I've had that happen once or twice, and I'm very quick to to pull the trigger on him there in the fourth. Yeah, certainly, the fourth. Would, certainly would not be a bad situation to be in. All right, uh, on to Carolina. Christian McCaffrey dominated fantasy football last year. Uh, don't really have to talk about that. Uh, he rewarded zoners with enough points to cover both their running back one and running back two roster positions with one player. This year, he enters as the consensus one overall and has as good a chance as repeating as anyone has ever had uh, because he supplements his rushing volume with huge pass-catching volume and upside. He's a no-brainer. Uh, the top names on him uh, on his team behind him are Reggie Bonifon and Mike Davis, but I don't think either of them are worth your valuable roster spots. Let's face it. If anything happens to McCaffrey, I think this team's in for a world of trouble. I think it'll have very, very minimal scoring upside outside of uh, Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore. The backup running backs do not have his skill set to make this offense move. Um, I, I think Carolina is just going to lose everything if anything happens to McCaffrey. Yeah, really uh, not a whole lot of debate here. I think McCaffrey is the consensus 101 I've yet to see. Well, maybe there was one draft where someone took Barkley over him, but basically 99.9% of the drafts, McCaffrey's going 101. And you I know no there's going to be home leagues where somebody go, where people go Lamar Jackson, though, too, right? Yeah, I, I don't think that happens very often. <laughs> I hope um, not. Uh, I mean, one of my teams is named CMC Hammer Times, so uh, you know uh-huh. my stance on McCaffrey this year. And then, as you said, behind him, I don't think there's a clear handcuff, but it does sound like Davis has been kind of taking the number two duties here. So maybe lean him uh, in deeper leagues where you're considering rostering backups uh, this far down. uh, But certainly does not have the pass-catching ability to to replace that McCaffrey value. Right. I mean, no one's going to be a a true workhorse in this Carolina offense uh, if McCaffrey were to miss time. So, yeah. All right, on to the Saints. 
Again, pretty straightforward. Alvin, uh, Alvin Kamara is my running back four going at fourth overall. Great offense and a lock for 80 receptions. He's backed up by Latavius Murray, for, uh, who's a, a running back who I think has both standalone flex value in good rushing matchups and elite handcuff top five running back upside. Because of that floor where he can slide in as a decent flexor running back two in a bye week jam, I think his round nine, round nine price tag is about where it should be. Ty Montgomery is on the team, and if Kamara were to need time off or miss time, I think Montgomery would definitely see some passing down work. But this offense is good enough that I still feel Latavius Murray would be a running back one in if Kamara were to miss any time. Yeah, this is a tough one for me. Um, I was right there with you. I had Kamara as my clear 104 um, until the, earlier this afternoon when Adam Schefter, just ruining dreams, uh, mentioned that Saints running back Alvin Kamara has had an unexcused absence from training camp the past three days, and it is believed to be contract-related per sources. So it's a tough call for me. Um, I did a draft or two earlier today where I passed over Kamara at 105-106. I took Henry and CH over him. Uh, but again, this all comes down to risk tolerance. Do you think the Saints pay him? Uh, I just... Yes, I do. Do you? Okay. I, I yeah. think this is kind I don't of... Think, I don't think he misses a minute of one game. Well, for a contract reason. <laughs> right, right. And and I do think that New Orleans is kind of all in on Breeze and the, you know a final push for another Super Bowl for him before he kind of rides off into the sunset. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, you know, do, don't raise your kids to be running backs, folks. They think they have all the leverage, but the Saints can move on with. I mean, they can win the first four weeks of the season without him if they absolutely need to. But Alvin Kamara is not going to give up four weeks of game checks. It's not going to happen. I wish I were as confident as you. <laughs> um, I think I, I'm less concerned about this than Dalvin Cook. So I would I would not. I, I drop him a few spots. I have him behind CH and Henry. And then I would have to really think about it if I'm at sitting at 107 and 108 and Kamara's on the board. See, I think we've seen this play out with Le'Veon Bell and Melvin Gordon. And, you know, th third time's not going to be a charm if, if somebody decides to try and sit a season out. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I agree. But again, uh, you know, I tweeted this out earlier this afternoon, actually, is that it seems very logical and straightforward to us. But a lot of times these contract <laughs> negotiations, yep. these decisions are driven by, you know, emotion rather than logic. That's true. And who knows what the agents are uh, are saying or what their knowledge base actually is, right? Yeah. And and going to the rest of the backfield real quick before we move on as not well. Not to sound pretentious. I'm not saying I know more than NFL agents. Please don't take it that way. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there is a clear handcuff. I, I'm not with you on Latavius Murray. I think really? he's being overdrafted a little bit. Um, you know, he really was a workhorse when Kamara missed time last year, but I, I do think that Montgomery is going to take away some PPR points. Uh, in in Kamara's absence, if the two were to split the backfields, and I think Murray would be fine. You know, he'd still be a quick waiver waiver ad. I just I think the work's gonna be split enough that I don't think he would be on any of my rosters in the preseason. But you're not gonna get him off waivers. He's gonna be owned. I'm very okay then paying like twenty bucks for Ty Montgomery at that point if if I needed a running back. Wow. Okay. 
Hey, I thought I thought this was going to be pretty chalky. And <laughs> I guess not. Oh, I wish there was some sort of wager we could make on that, but that would be betting on Kamara to miss time. And the NFL is is less fun when Alvin Kamara isn't playing, so I don't want to bet on that. Yeah, we won't do that. Yeah. All right, and now what I think is probably going to be the best for last, the spiciest segment of the day, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know Mung's going to have a lot to say about this one. Uh, it is one of the biggest backfield debates of the offseason, Ronald Jones versus Kashawn Vaughn. And I am firmly on the Ronald Jones side. We did a deeper dive on Ronald Jones in our last episode. But the basics to review are that Bruce Arians is not a coach who does surprising things. And that's because his system and ideas have, for the most part, worked. So he does not have to be. He's already said that Vaughn will open the season with primarily a special teams role. This is exactly what he did with David Johnson his rookie year, where he had 125 carries behind a very past his prime, Chris Johnson, CJ 0.8K at that point, if, if anybody is old enough to remember CJ2K, and sharing time with Andre Ellington. And do you know what Bruce Arians had to show for that decision? A 13-3 and record and an appearance in the NFC Championship game. Ronald Jones is going to get his opportunities, and I expect uh, Devin uh, Agunbawale, I know I'm not good at that one, um, to see uh, passing down work as well, just like he did last year. Ronald Jones is going in the seventh round, in a Tom Brady-led offense, no less. He has a chance to fail, but that round seven price tag is well worth it, in my opinion. Keyshawn Vaughn is going in the 10th, but I would not consider him earlier than the 13th or 14th, if at all. Your turn. So, let me start by making clear that if you're drafting Keyshawn Vaughn, you're you're not expecting him. Uh, you're not expecting to start him in your lineup week one, right? Um, for me, round seven is just too early for Ronald Jones in a role where he has immense upside, um, in this Tom Brady led offense with Evans and Godwin and Gronk. But the big thing for me is still, you comes... mean Howard, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you say so, <laughs> but that's uh, <laughs> that's a debate that we'll leave to another day. We, we talked about Gronk, uh, both sides <laughs> of the coin last episode. If you guys want to get, uh, get into the nitty gritty of that. Um, but really for me, this comes down to, and I know a lot of people have said it this off scene, but, but it's going to come down to who Tom Brady trusts in that backfield. And we saw that Ronald Jones fumbled last year. He whiffed on blocks last year. And I, I understand he's been doing a lot of work in the off season and I'm in no way rooting against him. Um, I hope he does well, but at the same time, I just don't know that he's going to be consistent enough. And when the chips are down, uh, I I think they're just going to go with the more reliable guy. And if, if Jones does fumble, if he does miss a block, get Brady sacked, I think he's going to miss a game, miss, uh, you know, the, the second half of a game, whenever it happens. And I think that at that point, uh, you know, everything is up in the air. And for me, I, I think, what might end up happening is that it's going to be a committee of some sorts. Um, so this kind of goes back to what we talked about with San Francisco, where I just want the cheaper guy with similar upside. All right. Well stated. Your, your point was well made. It was even borderline intelligent, but I award you <laughs> no you. point. <laughs> um, but I think we're both on the same page that Sean McCoy is mostly a veteran signing rights. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, an on-field coach for two young guys, or uh, a sideline coach for two young guys who do have some promise left. 
Yep. So I think well, I he's probably some, some untapped promise, I should say. Right. Uh, but I think we're on the same page that McCoy doesn't need yeah. to be rostered outside of deep leagues. No, no. All right. Well, that is going to do it for our NFC backfield show. Um, we're going to come out with the AFC backfield show in another day or two. So stay tuned for that. But uh, with draft season, uh, we're you know, not really even upon us, but we're in the thick of it, really. Uh, you know, as Lo said towards the beginning, if you have more specific questions regarding your team, your league, your draft trades, whatever it is, we're always happy to reply to questions on Twitter. You can find me at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And you can find me at FFA underscore Los. That's L-O-S, Los. And you can, of course, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our upcoming podcast episodes. They'll be waiting for you in the morning. Yeah, um, and as always, it's a fantasy world, and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks, addicts. Mama is treating me to breakfast. Yep, let me see your phone. Huh? Look here, I download this McDonald's app because when you buy any bagel sandwich like the steak, egg, and cheese bagel, you get one free. Wait, you just bought that on my phone. That's right. Now that you got McDonald's money, you could treat mama. <laughs> okay, ma, you got it. Valid for product of equal or lesser value. Valid through 10 or participate in McDonald's. Valid one time per day. App download and registration required. Are you feeling down, anxious, not yourself? Sometimes medication can help. Having to find a provider, wait for an appointment, then deal with a huge bill can make things worse. Do better with HERS. We'll connect you with a licensed psychiatry provider for an online evaluation. If medication's prescribed, HERS ships directly to your door. Affordable care, no insurance required. Get started with a free consultation at forhers.com. That's F-O-R-H-E-R-S.com. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information.